Well, we're going to start a new series today that I'm excited about and I'm looking forward to. And I want this for you. I want this to be a reality in your life. And so what we cover from now until Easter, I want this to be a reality in your life. I want this to become a way of living. It's not that I don't believe you're already like this. It's that we need to grow in it. How many times do we pray to grow in patience, right? Lord, help me grow my patience. And then he makes us wait in a really long line at the drive-thru, right? Lord, help me to grow in love. And then a worker that's nearly That You guys didn't laugh so much on that one, did you? How many times do we ask God for us to grow in areas... And then we get the opportunity. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about generosity, growing in generosity, growing in the gift, uh, the spiritual gift of generosity. It's not something that probably we think a lot about. God, help me grow in my generosity, right? Most of us aren't probably going to be like John Wesley, who started off tithing 10%, and by the end of his life, he was living on 10% and giving out 90%, right? Most of us aren't going to flip that script that drastically, but I believe that it's not that we're not generous, it's just simply we don't consider growing in it like we consider growing in everything else, and so it's a part of our spiritual life and our spiritual makeup that its growth gets stunted. And I don't think that as children of God and those that follow Christ, if we look at Jesus' life, you talk about generosity and giving, right? Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life, and yet Jesus comes to lay down his life and to be generous. And so what I want for you over the next several weeks is I want you to grow and begin to take steps to grow in generosity. I want myself to grow in generosity, generosity towards others. We live in Indiana, and there is this thing that we plant. It's a little yellow kernel called corn. Is everybody, do I have to describe corn anymore? Does everybody know what corn looks like? Are we good? It's something we would all have in common here this morning. And for those of you that are watching online, and I know we have people that are watching online that are not from the United States, and just Google corn, okay? Um, and look up corn. And corn, there's, we're going to get through winter, and we're going to come into this season where you're going to go to the market, and you're going to buy sweet corn, or you're going to buy corn, and you're going to eat corn on the cob, and you're going to go to the state fair. Believe it or not, it's going to warm up, and then most of you on social media will complain that it's too hot. Okay, we are humans. We just want whatever it is we don't have. I got one amen. <laughs> right? That's called covetousness, but that's a different sermon. Corn, on a cob, on one cob, there are, or can be, anywhere from 600 to 1,000 kernels on a cob. So we're just going to go with 800. Okay, we're just going to go with middle ground of 800. Think about this for a minute. There, there are 
800 seeds on that cob. 800 seeds. In our verse today, just keep that, just keep that word in your mind, seed. Okay, just keep the word seed in your mind as we go through this sermon today. And I'll close this sermon with the multiplication factor of one seed. Okay, because what I'm going to give you today are three keys, three keys to, to grow the multiplication factor of your generosity in Scripture. We find three keys for multiplication in Scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 10 through 11, Paul writes this. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now just, just prior to these two verses, in, for, or I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, Paul wrote this. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. And then he goes on down, and he comes down to verse 10, and he begins, he continues his thought in verse 10. Who, look, this is, do you notice a process here? Who gives the seed? God. Somebody said God. You're right. God gives the seed to sow. Deuteronomy tells us it's God who gives us the ability to get wealth. God provides the seed. You don't come up with the seed. God provides you the opportunity. In Paul's analogy, the seed is income. Paul gives you the ability to go earn an income. Every talent, every ability that you have to earn an income, that is seed that you go out and you sow, and then you reap the result of that. This is what Paul's talking about. And he says, God gives you the seed to sow it. You might sow it in the field of teaching. You might sow it in the field of banking. You might sow it in the, field, in, in the service industry. You might sow it in the medical field. You might sow your gift and your talent and sow your seed, and then you get it back. Right? You reap what comes. And so there is a process here that God gives you the seed. You plant that seed. And then who causes the increase? God. The Bible tells us that God is the one that causes the increase. And he says, I will enlarge your harvest. You take the seed that God gives you. You plant it. You, you use it. You invest it. And then God gives you more. Does anybody like more or is more like just not a thing you're into? If you're human, you want more. And if you're in the United States, we thrive on more, right? Bigger is better, more, more, more. Whose seed is it to begin with? God's. We'll come back to this thought towards the end of the sermon, but the seed is God's. Seed here, Paul, as he's talking about generosity, talking about the 
the Corinthians in chapter 9, he's saying God's given you an ability to earn seed. What would happen to our finances if we saw our money as seed? What would happen to every dollar that you have, you view it as seed? Not to get what you want, but to invest. And not just invest in a market that's going to end when your life is over and you can't take it with you. What would happen if you saw your finances as seed to invest in the economy of heaven so that what Jesus says is that when you invest in heaven, you will reap a reward Rust won't get to it, fire won't get to it, thieves won't get to it, and it will exponentially grow. Listen, it's not that life is so short, it's it's just that you're dead for so long. It was a joke. The point is this, that you're in heaven much longer than you are on this earth, and if I'm going to take my seed and invest it in something, I would rather invest it in something that I know is untouchable by Satan and will help produce results in the economy of heaven. Someday I'm going to do a series on the economy of heaven. There's an entire economic system in heaven, and it's found throughout the scripture, and it's not taught on. You guys are really quiet this morning. Is this all new? Is this new? The Bible tells us that someday when you stand before God, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever done is going to be thrown into a fire. You guys like sound effects? And it's going to be burned up. And the Bible says that everything you did for God will remain as precious jewels gems, etc., for your eternity. And everything that you did for this earth will be burned up like hay in the fire. It literally says that, like straw in fire, it will be burned up. So when I get my check, I'm looking at seeds. And I take some of that seed money and I invest it in my kids, in their education. I invest it in experiences so that when they have kids, They can pass on the message of Jesus Christ into my grandkids. And so the gospel can go on because I need to invest in eternity, not in a short 80 years or 75 years or 70 or 60. Do I need to keep going down? No, you're like, stop, you're getting way too close, right? I need to invest in eternity. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 tells us that our ability to increase our, he, he literally uses the analogy of our finances as seeds to be planted. And so I don't know about you, but when I plant things, my wife is laughing. We have no flowers in our house. Even the plastic plants that we had in our house got up and walked out. Um, We just can't keep anything alive. It's a wonder we have a dog. But that is so true, isn't it? (laughs) How did we raise kids? I don't know. You guys don't need to hear this conversation. Okay, the point is this. The point is there are keys in Scripture to multiplying that seed. 
When you plant something, it multiplies itself. It's just a natural phenomenon. I don't care if it's corn. I don't care if it's soybean. I don't care if it's tomatoes, green beans. Whatever you plant, it multiplies. It doesn't add. It multiplies. Do you understand the difference between adding and multiplication? If I get two, two and two is 22, but two plus two is four. You guys, where are you guys this morning? All right, two plus two is four, but two times, that didn't work, did it? Where am I this morning? <laughs> Multiplication is better than addition, is that right? If you're trying to get more seed? All right, okay, six plus eight. All right, we're done with math. Look, exponentially multiplication is more. And God designed seed to multiply, not add. Are we all on the same track? Yes. You look a little bit more alive. So the first key to multiplying the seed that God gave you, you must have margin in your finances. You cannot multiply what you do not have. Because this much I do know, zero times zero is, zero times anything is, right. See, I'll let you do the math. You have to have margin in your finances if you're going to be able to sow seed and see it multiply in the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember, you know, last week was Valentine's and we talked about Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. And Boaz lived his life biblically as he had acres and acres of farmland. The Old Testament law said that he was to leave the outer rim, right, the outer two uh, the ring around his farmland for the poor to come and to glean and to harvest what remained. Those that could not get a job or earn money, they were to be able to come and get that and then take that back, right? What's he doing? He's living with margin. He's living with margin in his life. Boaz lived with margin, and because he followed the, the rule and the laws of God, he found Ruth, who eventually down the line in their lineage came David, and then Solomon, and then on down the line came Jesus. Living with margin is instrumental if you're going to multiply the seed that God's given you. In Romans chapter 13, verse 8, Paul writes this, Let no debt remain outstanding except a continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Let no debt remain outstanding except to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. That's a pretty tough scripture in a culture that runs on debt. What do you think your FICO score is? Your FICO score isn't based on how much money you've got. It's based on how much debt and how well you can manage debt. For a culture that loves to run on debt... This verse is counterculture and swimming upstream. Yet I can tell you one of the key ways to live with margin in your life is to remove the debt as quickly as possible. If you listen to uh, financial advisors and stuff, they'll give you suggestions for, for debt snowballs and, and that sort of thing. But here's what I want you to understand, and I want you to get this ingrained because we need to be a church that operates without debt. We, we need to be a people that if we're going to be generous, we operate without debt. 
That means you're going to have to act your wage, as one financial advisor says, right? You're going to have to act your wage. So if you, if you make 20 grand, you can't run around and spend 25 grand. Oh, this is really tough. Does anybody else's toes hurt, right? Because you know what happens? We do this emotional spending. Good. I think I just need to jump on Amazon and get the endorphins flowing. Click, yes, click, yes, click, yes, click, yes. Oh, in two days. Can you imagine that? Right? And the endorphins, and we start to feel good, don't we? We start to feel really good till the next month. And then the credit card comes in. And then there's more month than there is finances at the end of the month. That's tough, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest, it sucks. And we, we let our emotions get the best of us. We let our emotions get the best of us. I want you to think about this. This is what I've learned. This is what I've trained myself to think. Every time we borrow money, we are robbing from our future self. Every time you borrow money, you're robbing from your future self. You're taking from the future and bringing it now so that when you get to the future, you'll have less. Does the future you, is the future you going to appreciate that? Probably not. Probably not. And here's the amazing thing. I have, I have figured out that I can get those same endorphins flowing in my brain if I set money aside. That's what I just did there. I've got some apps on my phone and stuff. I do some stuff, and I set changes. I set change aside. Like, I have change, right? And I'm like that guy that's, like, old beyond his years, and I walk into the bank like, and I'm like, oh, Lord, here comes Tyson and all the change, right? I even have a little app on my phone that racks up all the change for me. Every time I swipe my card, the difference goes into an investment, Right? Every time you borrow money, you're robbing your future self. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he said, let no debt. The only thing you should owe anybody is the debt of love and to love them and to care for them. If we're going to grow in generosity and being generous, how many times do you like, man, I just want to give to that cause or I want to, I want to give to that person or, or, or to that issue, and I, but you can't. Why? Because you've already robbed from your future self and now it's not there. And you've made it to the future, and poof, it's gone. And so the first key to multiplying your generosity is that we have to live with margin in our finances. We have to increase the margin to be a blessing. The second key to multiplying our generosity. Something must be blessed before it can be multiplied. It has to be blessed before it can be multiplied. Let me give you a prime, uh, I'll give you an example of that here in just a minute. But I want to look at this principle in the scripture. And this principle literally runs from the law in the Old Testament all the way through to Revelation. It's called the principle of first fruits. Okay? In Romans 11, verse 16, it says, 
It says, if the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. It's called the principle of the first fruits in the Bible. And it's the, it's the idea that God gets the first of everything. God gets the first of everything. He got the firstborn. The firstborn child was always dedicated to God. The first 10% of the crops that came in were dedicated to God. The first 10% of the cattle that came in were given to God. The first everything is given to God. God is first in everything. Because what you're saying, what you're saying is, is that in my life, God, I want you to be first. I want you first over Uncle Sam. I want you first over my kids. I want you first over the bills. I want you first over everything. I want you first. We'll get in here, into this in a few weeks, and not to steal my own thunder, but Jesus says, where the heart is, there your treasure will be, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The principle is this, wherever you send your money, your heart follows. It's not where your heart is, then your money follows. What Jesus says is actually where you send your money, that's where your heart goes. And we'll dive into that in a few weeks. You decide where your heart goes. You decide where your emotions go. You tell your emotions where to go. You tell them what to do. You tell them, no, we're not going to Amazon today. Now, some of you just had a, like, conniption right there, right? You say, no, I was going to spend that, but I'm going to set that over here and invest it. And the future me will be grateful for that, right? So we need to understand this whole concept of the first fruit. It's a biblical principle. The early Christians lived by this. It's something that we have gotten away from. But I promise you, the early church in the first two to three hundred years lived by this. Let me ask you a question. Why do we meet on Sunday morning for church? Sunday is the first day of the week. And the morning is the first part of the day. You're honoring God with the first fruit of your time. Because technically, the Sabbath is Saturday. If we're going to go by rabbinical law, the Sabbath is Saturday. Why do Christians? Well, Jesus rose from the grave on what we believe to be Sunday, what we call in our calendar Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week, and the morning is the first part of that day. And so God gets the first bit of our time of the week. And then on the seventh day, we rest, just like God did. Are you with me? It's, it's why church is on Sunday morning. It's a first fruit of our time. Let's look at another form of first fruit. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he says, but Christ has indeed raised from the dead the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. Here's the principle of first fruit with the human race. A, a human had to be sacrificed to God, and it's believed that the first part is always the best part, 
in Jewish thought, the first part is always the best. And so Jesus is offered as the first fruit of humanity to go into heaven. Prior to Jesus, as we talked about a few weeks ago, when we talked about the gifts given to the church, and it says that Jesus went into the pit, and he brought captives captive, and he was the first fruit. He had to be the first human to go into heaven. All the other humans that passed before Jesus and died before Jesus went to a spiritual holding place called paradise. Today I will see you in paradise. That's what he told the thief on the cross. Where did that thief go? That thief, when Jesus said paradise, he wasn't talking about heaven. It's a spiritual holding cell. And so he goes to paradise. He proclaims the good news. He proclaims himself. And the Bible actually says in the Gospels that Jesus was the first fruit to march into heaven as the first human to say, here is the best that humanity has to offer, and I know you will accept it, God. And so because of that, we can go into heaven, and we can march into heaven. Jesus was the first fruit. You can also find that in 1 Corinthians 15, 23. You can find it in the Gospels as well. Jesus was the first fruit, and so he sacrificed himself to God to save the world, to save the cosmos, and that includes you and me if we accept it, and to go into heaven. This is why in the Old Testament there's this law called tithing, and it carries over into the New Testament, not as a law, because we are no longer under the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law, but it's a principle now. Do you understand the difference between a law and a principle? A law says you have to do this. You have no choice. A principle says if you want your life blessed and you want your seeds blessed, follow the principle. Right? The principle behind a yellow, or, or the law behind a yellow light to slow down. The principle by, principle by which most of us live is to speed up. Right? And some of you just looked over at somebody else and went, I didn't know that was meant to slow down. I thought it meant it was just warning it's going to be red. Hurry up. No. Right? There's a law and then there's a principle. And Jesus instructs us to tithe the first 10%. And he says, if you do this, it'll be blessed. And we'll look at that here in a few weeks. In Malachi, he says, it will be blessed. But it's the idea that if I give the first fruit to God, then the rest will be blessed. The rest will be blessed. The third key Third key is this, if we want our generosity and our ability to be generous, to be multiplied, only what is given away can be multiplied. If I'm holding on to it, I can't, God's not going to multiply it, okay? If I'm selfish, if I'm greedy, I need, I need this, I've got to have this, it doesn't get multiplied. There's a story of Jesus, let me tell you, let me show you how this works. There's a story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. How many of you have heard this story? Let me see your hand. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm actually hungry right now. All right. It's good because we're going to talk about food. 
And in this story, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, hey, we're all hungry. Like Peter's mouth is making more, or Peter's stomach's making more no noise than his mouth. And that in and of itself is a miracle, right? We're all hungry. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed Jesus, but you drug these 5,000 people. And when it refers to people, please, no disrespect, understand it's a different culture and a different time. They only counted men. They didn't count wives and children. So when you see 5,000 people, it doesn't mean men, women, and children. It's 5,000 men. Now, if the average family size is seven, well, you do the math. Since that seems to be an issue this morning, I'll let you, you know, seven times 5,000, right? 35,000. See how I did that? Somebody's going to bust out your calculator. Look, Jesus now, Jesus now has a dilemma. I'm not done preaching. They need to hear more, right? Jesus says, well, you get them something to eat. Even if we could go through drive-thru, we can't get enough food for 30,000 people. Are you crazy? What are we going to do? Now, 30,000 might be an exaggeration, but I'm probably not too far off by the time you throw in women and children. Well, we got this little boy over here. He's got, he's got bread and sardines. Basically, he's got like salt. He's basically got sardines, sardines and crackers is basically. It says fish and loaves, understand, it's like sardines and crackers or pita bread. Jesus is like, all right, bring it. And then what's Jesus do? Jesus blesses it because the boy's willing to give it. Could Jesus have blessed it if the boy would have held on to it? Was Jesus going to bless it if the boy held on to it? No. Jesus Here's what I've learned about God. God will say, okay, if you think you can do life yourself, go ahead. I'll be here when you fall. It's not going to get blessed unless it's put into the hands of Jesus. Jesus blesses it. And when you read it, at least I always read it as poof. There was a one, once he said amen and everybody opened their eyes, there was just food everywhere. The Bible doesn't say that. He blessed it, and there were still a basket of loaves of fish. When did it get multiplied? Matthew 4.19. Well, that's the wrong verse. Anyway, that's my fault. That's in my notes. Here's the thing. The Bible says that as they handed it out, as they handed it out, it multiplied. They gave it to Jesus. Jesus blessed it. And then as they got it back and they began to pass it around, they took But the bread was still there. They pulled two sardines, but it was as if the two sardines never left. after it was blessed and then given away. The miracle happened in the handing out, not in Jesus' hands, but in the hands 
of his disciples. That's where the miracle happened. I think so many times in our finances, we just pray, God, send me a check to get me out of my stupidity for spending so much. God's like, I gave you the seed. If you would have just followed the principles, you could have you blessed more people. The miracle happens in your hands. We bring it to God and say, God, bless this. Do what only you can do with it. And then I'm going to follow your principle in giving it out. Because why? Seed is never meant to be held in a silo forever. Seed is meant to be planted in the ground and give it out and then multiplied again. Ask any farmer, they'll tell you. If you want to farm for long, you're not storing your seed in the silo forever. You have to do something with it. You have to get it out of your hands. Right? The miracle happened in the hands of the disciples, not in the hands of Jesus. And so that third key of multiplication, only what is given away can be multiplied. You have to give it away for it to be blessed. Here's what I think, here's what I think a lot of us think. We think, okay, well, tithing is a principle in the New Testament. It's a law in the Old. It's commanded in the Old Testament. It's commended in the New Testament. So you think, well, I don't, I don't really have to give back to God. And there's part of our problem with our mentality, at least for mine for a long time, was, well, I'll give it back to God. Time out. Whose seed is it? It's God's seed. You're not giving. You're, tithing isn't giving. It's returning. Tithing isn't giving, it's returning back to what rightfully belongs to him anyway. And so when we do that, it gets blessed. And our finances go further when they're blessed by God than we try to manage it ourselves. Who knows how your finances better? You or God? I'm just asking. Just, I'm just asking because... human pea brain infinite mind of God right God I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm going to give back see I said it too right I'm going to return to you what rightfully belongs to you and then I'm going to trust that you're going to bless it so that when I go out here and begin to bless other people you're going to multiply it that's what he calls us to do so if we go back to that little kernel of corn in closing, if we go back to that little kernel of corn there's about 800, 800 of them on a cob one kernel of corn put into the ground will yield a stalk of about 10 ears that one kernel of corn For easy math, I'm going to bump it up to a thousand. Say being worth 600 to a thousand or 1,200 kernels on a corn cob. Are you guys with me? So for easy math, we're going to say there's a thousand. So if there's 10 ears with a thousand kernels, that one seed holds 10,000 kernel of kernels of corn. But that seed has to be planted in the ground and given away so that it can multiply. Think about it. Where else can you invest 
get an eternal reward that will not die and still pay the bills, spread the message of the gospel around the world, pay people's salary. I mean, think about how much can God does with 10% versus how much you do with 90. It's mind-blowing, right? That one kernel of corn can yield up to 10,000 other kernels. It's multiplication. But what has to happen? Here's what has to happen. One, you have margins so you can have a kernel. Once you have it, right, it gets, you bless it, and you give it away, and you put that thing in the ground, and it begins to multiply. The ones sitting in the silo aren't multiplying anything. Put it back in the ground, it's multiplying. And so as we think about generosity, I don't want you to just be a generous person. I want you to multiply in generosity. I want you to... Could you, could you just imagine with me a church doesn't need to do a bake sale it doesn't it doesn't need to do car washes to raise money to send the teenagers to camp why because the church is full of generosity well your church doesn't do brownie sales no you know why because we're a crazy generous church and not that we won't not that we can't but can you imagine what that would look like to the world if they showed up to the church and things were just free because the people inside the church loved them so much they were willing to be generous? Maybe then we wouldn't hear all the church wants is my money because every time I go up, every time I go to the church, they're selling me something so they can send their kids off to a third world country or doing whatever, right? That's what we're supposed to be realize, now this is several years, this is about 10 years, the data here is about 10 years old. The UN did a study about 10 years ago to eliminate hunger in the world would cost 70 billion dollars. Again, this, is, this data is 10 years old. To eliminate hunger in the world, the UN found that it would cost 70 billion dollars to eliminate hunger. If those who called themselves regular church attenders just in North America alone tithe, tithe. Just the church alone in North America tithes. Do you know how much money we would have? $65 billion. Do you think the church by its, the church in North America by itself could eliminate world hunger? We could be the church and do it, but we don't live with margin. We don't understand the spiritual principles of multiplication. Think about that. Think about the power of the church. God's design is you and me living according to spiritual principles so that we can drastically multiply the generosity around the world so that people go, I want what you've got. I want to live like that so that we can bring more people to the kingdom of God. Is that what you want? It's what I want. I'm excited for that.
to think about the possibility of that. Let's stand up this morning. I would encourage you this week as you get your paycheck and you look at the dollars on your paycheck, it's not just a number. Each dollar is a seed. Where are you going to sow it to get back an investment? Len asked me one time, you ever buy a new car? This is me. Do not feel condemned if you buy new cars. No. Why? You lose too much money on a new car. Drive off a lot. Go take my seed and invest it in something that's going to depreciate. It doesn't make sense. For me. Right? You guys just, like, we had an up moment emotionally. You guys now are like, man. I don't tell you all of this to step on your toes. I tell you this because I am for you. And I want to see you be crazy, ridiculously generous. So if God lays on your heart to bless your waitress with a tip that is the same size as your bill, you can do that and not have to think twice about it. That's what we want. And I know we can do that. This morning, if you're here and you're like, man, I, you want to just say, I, I want to live for God like that, but I want to get myself out of the way. I'd like for everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here this morning and maybe yourself is in the way and you are just not living for God like you know you should, I want to invite you to come forward. I want to pray with you. We're going to pray and ask God to forgive you, to put Jesus first in your life. If that's you. Or if you're here and you need prayer for anything else in your life, we want to pray with you. We believe that God is going to move supernaturally in your life. I want to take just the next few moments. It'll be very quick. I want you just where you're at standing. Just pray and ask the Holy Spirit this. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to take away from today's sermon? And then just be quiet and let some time speak. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to take away from today's sermon? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this place this morning. God, as we walk out of these doors, we're excited for the opportunity that we have to make you happy, to bring a smile on your face. Lord, we thank you that you love us unconditionally. You love us regardless of where we're at, 
regardless of the thoughts we think. Lord, may we live for that love, and may we live out of that love so that this week we can bring a smile to your face. May we become known as a people who are ridiculously generous. And this morning, God, may we take these three keys of multiplication and begin to apply them in our lives. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen. You guys have an amazing week.